Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. So, we've come now to track four in our Quick to Listen series, where the sermons are inspired by songs. Each week I pick a song, we listen to it, and then we consider how it relates to our faith, to Scripture, and to the Gospel. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that I've repeated what my criteria are for the songs that I've chosen every week. There are two criteria. One, I like the song. And two, it inspires a sermon. That's it. Those are the only two criteria. Track one was Silicone Boone's Found You. Track two was Florence and the Machines Free. And last week, track three was The Innocence Missions, The Brotherhood of Man. This week, we're going back in time a bit. So far, all the songs have been from a year with two in the front of it. 2019, 2022, 2007. Uh, But this week, we're going all the way back to the 80s. A decade that holds a special place in my heart. Uh, My first memories, the 80s. And the band is the 77s. Has anyone heard of the 77s? All right, I thought... (laughs) that maybe Steve would know the 77s. So, okay, the 77s, and the song is called The Lust, the Flesh, the Eyes, and the Pride of Life. Long song title. The 77s started at a church in Sacramento, California in the 70s, the late 70s. They were a ministry band that played for their weekend artistic outreaches at the church. So this is the first band in our series so far that would have been classified throughout its lifespan, I believe they still play today, uh, as a Christian band. Okay, you would find this artist in Christian bookstores. Uh, And in 1987, they put out their third album, which was this one that you see the picture of here. Uh, It was self-titled, The 77s, and it actually received very good reviews in both secular and Christian publications, had a glowing review in Rolling Stone, believe it or not. And the song that has had the most lasting impact from this album is the one we're going to listen to, The Lust, The Flesh, The Eyes, and The Pride of Life. So, uh, we're going to listen to it. If somebody wants to hit the lights, that would be great. And um, as I've reminded us every week, if you're watching on live stream, we cannot stream copyrighted music without getting shut down. So in a moment, there's going to be a link provided for you. You can click that so that you can listen to the song because we're going to be muting the sound on the live stream temporarily. And also, if you're listening on to this on podcast later, make sure you go to the show notes, click the link so that you can listen to the song before listening to the sermon. All right. The lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life by the 77s. If we could hit the lights, that would be great. The lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. I heard that the songwriter 
for that, a guy named Michael Rowe, he said that he wrote that very quickly when he was very angry. I think at himself. <laughs> that it just kind of poured out of him. And uh, then he went to record it the next day and he was having trouble figuring out how to sing it because he didn't really think much about meter or anything like that. It, just, it was just an emotional release for him. If you were here at all this summer for our series on the book of 1 John, you might have recognized the, those words in the chorus, the title of the song. They come right from 1 John chapter 2, which says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So, Michael Rowe, back in the 80s, uh, when he wrote this song, he must have had this verse in mind. I suspect that he read it, he read that phrase, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and thought, I know something about that. I have personal experience with it. And so he wrote this song, which I would describe as both a confession and a lament. Confession and lament are forms of expression that have a long history in our faith. Confession, because he is being honest about his own sin. And lament, because he is expressing sadness over it, frustration over it. As he says in the chorus, all of that lust and pride drains the life right out of me. Now, you might have noticed Michael does change the wording from 1 John a little bit. He says, the lust, the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life, rather than the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I wouldn't make too much of that. I suspect the reason he did that is just because it fit better with the melody. <laughs> so, you know, we get... Sometimes you've got to give artists a little bit of artistic license. I think that's what's going on there. Um, but I suspect that he had those three phrases, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life in mind when he wrote those three verses. Because they align really well with each phrase, right? First verse, lust of the flesh. I feel like i got to feel something good all of the time. Second verse, lust of the eyes. I see something. I see it, I want it, bam, right now, no questions asked. And then the pride of life. This, that verse is my favorite one, I love that one. I love when folks look right at me and what I'm doing or have done and lay it on about how groovy I am and that I'm looking good. That line makes me laugh, partly because of how embarrassingly honest it is, right? In some contemporary slang, we might say, oh, it's cringe. Right? It's very cringy. I feel embarrassed for him, right, as he's admitting this. Um, and then it's also funny just because of that word groovy, which I think may have been intentional because groovy as a slang kind of hit its high point in the 60s and 70s, right? By the 80s, it was not a slang that people were using. And so I think Michael may have used that word just to sort of highlight how foolish it is to chase after the pride of life, because what's fashionable one year, a few years later, is just a joke to people, right? 
And so there's no point in chasing after the pride of life. If you chase after the pride of life too hard, you just end up embarrassing yourself, right? So for all three of these things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Michael is recognizing how deceptive they are. These desires, they promise us fulfillment, satisfaction, but they never bring it. Instead of fulfilling us, they drain the life out of us. Now, that first verse, I think, is going to be very relatable to anyone who has struggled with addiction. I feel like I have to feel something good all the time. With most of life, I cannot deal, but a good feeling I can feel, even though it may not be real. And if a person, place, or thing can deliver, I will quiver with delight. But will it last me for all my life, or just one more lonely night? The lust of the flesh tells us to prioritize short-term pleasure, regardless of how it affects those around us, and regardless of what the long-term consequences might be. So the lust of the flesh is that, that voice in us that says, if it feels good, do it, and do it now. Take another drink. Use that drug. Go to that website. Eat more and more and more of that sugary, high-fat food. Follow your sexual appetite wherever it leads. And don't you worry about how any of this might cause harm to those around you. Don't worry what the long-term consequences might be. Don't worry about how it might influence your neighbors or society at large or your friends or your family. Just follow your lust. And Michael recognizes that this way of life does not bring real life. And one reason is because it doesn't help the problem of loneliness. Will it last me for all my life or just one more lonely night? A person who is ruled by the lust of the flesh is incapable of having healthy relationships. Because healthy relationships require us to give of ourselves, not just to take, right? But the lust of the flesh has no interest in giving. It only wants to take. And so when we are ruled by the lust of the flesh, we remain lonely. And one of our core desires cannot be satisfied. And Michael recognizes this. The ironic thing about the lust of the flesh is that it tells us to prioritize pleasure while also denying us many of the greatest pleasures that life can offer us. Because the greatest pleasures that life can offer us require some amount of self-denial and suffering. It's a paradox. I think it's part of what Jesus had in mind when he said that in order to find our lives, we need to lose them. I mean, think about the greatest pleasures in life, they're things like achieving a difficult goal, right? The satisfaction of doing a good job on something. The pleasure of helping to meet somebody's needs. The pleasure of working for justice. The pleasure of really loving someone else and being loved by them in return. 
All of the best things in life require some amount of suffering and self-denial. And they require a willingness to let go of only the desire for short-term pleasure. But the lust of the flesh just tells us, just go for that short-term dopamine fix. Don't worry about what it will cost you. Don't worry about it, how it affects anybody else. Just that's what you need to chase. One dopamine fix after another. Jesus models resistance against the lust of the flesh for us in the story of his temptation in the wilderness. You guys probably know this story. The devil comes to Jesus and tempts him in three different ways. And the first temptation is for Jesus to turn stones into bread, which is an interesting temptation, isn't it? Because, well, there's nothing wrong with eating. Nothing inherently wrong with eating, right? We need to eat to survive. There isn't even anything inherently wrong with doing miracles, right? Jesus did miracles. Jesus even did a miracle to feed 5,000 people, multiplying uh, the loaves and fish, right? So the devil was not tempting Jesus to do anything that is inherently wrong. And he was telling Jesus to do something Jesus would have wanted to do. We're told that Jesus had not eaten in a very long time. And he was hungry. But Jesus knew that at this time, the Father wanted him to fast. And so he rejected the temptation by saying, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think one way of putting what Jesus is saying there is human beings cannot find what they're really looking for simply by satisfying short-term desires. Can't be done. Real life is found in seeking to do the will of God, even when that sometimes means laying down those short-term desires. Real life is found in love and in service and in giving of ourselves for something more than just our personal pleasure. Real life does not come just from chasing the next dopamine fix, but from hearing and following the word of God. Apart from that, apart from that, that word of God in our lives, we lack meaning, we lack purpose, we lack true life. So then in the second verse, Michael reflects on the madness of the lust of the eyes. I'll go to any length, sacrifice all that I already have and all that I might get, just to get something more that I don't need, and Lord, please don't ask me what for. The lust of the eyes is what convinces us that what we really need are things consumer products, stuff, and more and more of it. The lust of the eyes tells us that the unmet longing in our souls can be met with stuff. And it is true that some stuff can be very nice to have. There are things I would like right now that I don't have, like a new roof. <laughs> it might be coming tomorrow. We can pray that it'll happen. It was supposed to happen Tuesday, then Wednesday. It didn't happen, but 
It's not supposed to rain, so. Things can be nice, but so often the lust of the, of the eyes that tells us, oh, that is the thing that's going to make me happy. A little while later, that same thing is in the back of the garage or in the attic or in a landfill, right? Jesus warned us not to be deceived by the lust of the eyes when he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We should note those words, be on your guard. Right? It's like Jesus is saying, even if you think you're not susceptible to this, you are. You've got to be careful. Because you're going to have an inclination to think that the unmet longings within you can be satisfied with stuff. That's just the way it is. And so you've got to be intentional about this. Proactive about recognizing that's not going to bring satisfaction. And then there's the pride of life. Michael says he loves it when people compliment him and admire him. He says every single word that they say makes me feel like I'll live forever. But then he recognizes the truth. They probably won't remember what they said tomorrow. And tomorrow, I could be dead. He's smart enough to realize that no compliment can bestow upon him the significance that his soul craves. No matter how many people admire him, no matter how many of are impressed by his musical ability, he will always be mortal. His life will still be, as the author of James puts it, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And he's also smart enough to recognize that just because somebody compliments him doesn't mean that they really care about him. Being impressed by someone's talents is not the same thing as loving somebody. You can be impressed by somebody and then not think about them for years, right? And yet there are some people who go their whole lives just chasing after those compliments from other people, just wanting to impress others. The pride of life can show up in a lot of different ways. Uh, for Michael, it manifests in this desire for compliments and admiration. Uh, but it can also show up in a desire to be recognized as smart or right. It can show up in a desire to be the center of attention, to not be satisfied unless that's happening. Sometimes it appears in a person's refusal to acknowledge their own mistakes. Right? Even if those mistakes are painfully obvious to everybody else around them. The pride of life refuses to acknowledge any truths that bruise a person's ego. And so the pride of life has this power to destroy friendships and estrange family members and even incite wars. Pride of life. I think that the destructive power of the pride of life is part of what Jesus had in mind when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, that's the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit don't have huge egos. 
Right? The poor in spirit have enough humility to recognize when they're wrong and they can admit it. The poor in spirit don't need to be the center of attention. They don't need everybody to be complimenting them all the time. They don't have a big ego. And because of that, they're blessed. It's nice to be free from the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The question for us this morning is, do we see these things for the liars that they are? Do we recognize that they drain the life out of us? Do we recognize that they lead us to things like addiction, unrealized potential, broken relationships, loneliness, financial ruin, hoarded homes, discontent, anger? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life promise to quench our soul's thirst, but when we go to those wells to drink, we find salt water. And rather than being quenched, we just get more and more thirsty. And it's in the context of that that I want us to hear these words from Jesus. John chapter 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I love that. Jesus doesn't want us to keep drinking salt water. He says that if we come to him, he can give us what the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life can never give us. He wants to turn our dry wells looking to be filled into springs of water that provide life not only for us, but also for those around us, right? If you have water flowing from within you, one, you're not dependent on what's going on around you all the time for satisfaction. And secondly, you can actually be a blessing to other people. Right? Because rather than going to everybody else looking for them to fill you up, you have something to give to them. Jesus also said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say abundant life. Isn't it awesome that Jesus said that? That part of his mission in coming to earth was to give us fullness of life, the life that is truly life, abundant life. Now you might be wondering, how do I access this abundant life? How do I get it? How do I come to Jesus and drink? I can't just go out and buy a can of Jesus, right? <laughs> I can go out and buy a can of alcohol, but I can't go out and buy a can of Jesus. So what do I do? Well, that's true, right? 
When Jesus tells us to come to him and drink, he's not just telling us to consume him like we would any other product. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. And he's saying, trust me, hear my words and put them into practice. Do we know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and have we actually tried to live it? Because if we are not doing that, then I don't know that we can really honestly say that we've come to Jesus to drink. Have we actually attempted to live by the words that Jesus gives us in something like the Sermon on the Mount? That means doing things like turning from our anger, trying to love our enemies, forgiving others as we would want to be forgiven, judging others only as we would judge ourselves, right? only holding others to the same standard we would hold ourselves. It means letting go of worry and trusting our Heavenly Father to provide. Well, we actually tried to live that way. Have we done that? Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount with a warning. He said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The foundation of rock and the foundation of sand represent two different responses to Jesus' words, right? The foundation of rock is putting his words into practice, and the foundation of sand is just carrying on in the same way as always. So going to Jesus to drink does involve actually believing and following what he says. Now, please don't misunderstand me, okay? I believe salvation is a gift from God, that ultimately it is what Christ has done on our behalf that saves us. That is absolutely true. But we have to be able to hold these words of Jesus in tension with that reality. What Jesus is letting us know is if you want streams of living water to flow from within you, you got to actually hear what I'm saying and put it into practice. You cannot drink from the well of Jesus without doing that. Christians often talk about how we have a sinful nature. That's true. And we think of our sinful nature as an inclination to do what is wrong. Well, this morning, I want you to maybe think about the sinful nature a little bit more specifically than that. Think of your sinful nature as the part of you that refuses to recognize that you will not be satisfied by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Even after we put our trust in Jesus, it's like there's this part of us that still clings to this foolish belief 
that your thirst is going to be quenched by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not like you put your, your trust in Jesus once and then that just completely goes away. Right? Every day we have to choose. And I, am I going to chase the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Or, I'm gonna, or am I going to choose to go to Jesus and drink from that well? It's a daily choice. And if we find ourselves choosing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it drains the life right out of us. And what I love about this song, I think this song can be a resource for us as we're trying to make the right choice daily. Because this song does a great job of helping us to see the absurdity of chasing after the lust of the flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. That it really is like drinking salt water. I mean, you listen to it and you think, yeah, of course chasing after short-term pleasure is foolish. Of course that doesn't lead to real satisfaction. Of course consumer products can't fill my soul. Of course my prideful desire to be at the center of the universe is ridiculous. So, this morning, be encouraged. Go to Jesus and drink deeply from the well of life that he provides. Let's hear his words and put them into practice. And let's build our lives on his foundation rather than our lust and our pride. Amen? Lord, that is easier said than done. There's that part of us that still, still believes that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is going to give us what we long for. Help us, Lord, to recognize the foolishness of that. Help us to see it for the deception that it is. Lord, help us to recognize that only you can fill our hearts and our souls with what we truly long for. Lord, give us strength to follow you, to build our lives on the foundation of your words and putting them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.